0: open them to Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 14, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. We'll start our study there, and then we'll be skipping around different places in God's Word. Just a reminder, uh, holiday week, we will not be having out-to-lunch for ladies, nor Thursday morning men's study for guys. Uh, We're taking a week off from those particular breaks. Just to let you know where we are, we're doing a series called Shipwrecked. And uh, as we're doing that series, we're looking at uh, how to bolster our faith by understanding sound doctrine. Uh, This morning we look at Satan. And uh, last week we did angels and demons. Now we look at Satan, the father of lies. Uh, Next week we'll look at heaven. And the week after that, I'm going to give you hell. How's that? We'll look at hell that week and uh, take a look at it and hopefully we'll avoid that place and we'll continue that study we'll look at eschatology we'll look at worship and uh, then we'll begin a new study after school starts in the fall. Uh, This is a holiday week for us. We celebrate our independence as a nation. We celebrate the freedom we share in Christ, the freedom as a nation. I'm reminded of that. We've had a team come back from Rwanda recently, another team from the Ukraine. We've got one team in the Ukraine. We have others that are headed out the next couple of weeks to Estonia, Japan, and other places. And uh, we go sometimes to places where there's not freedom. I've experienced that in multiple places where we've been, China as well as some other places. And we look at that, and we come back grateful for the nation we have, grateful for what God is doing, can do, and will do, and uh, for those of you that represent us and uh, have worked for independence, we thank you. If you're currently in the military, uh, either currently active duty or at Guard or Reserves, would you stand up so we can thank you for your service to us and our country this morning? There we go. number of guys. A number of guys. Thank you. We're grateful for the freedom we have in Christ, grateful for the freedom we have in a nation. We can walk out of this building and not fear anything other than the one we're going to talk about this morning, who is the monster of the deep. If I can get this thing to work, there we go. The monster of the deep. Many sailors have stories of sea monsters they've encountered. It seems most of these encounters are the figment of fertile imaginations or delirium from too much rum, one or the other. But the best-known sea monster is whom? Who's the best-known sea monster today? Yeah, the Loch Ness Monster. If you Google up Loch Ness Monster, there are 3.8 million, 3,800,000 websites that will teach you about the Loch Ness Monster. I found some pictures, actually, and decided I want to go to Scotland and see for myself after looking at these pictures. But uh, that's Nessie as known, as he's known, he or she is known, in Scotland. How many of you believe the Loch Ness Monster is true? Let me see your hands. Hey, I was going to sell a piece of property to you in Louisiana, but I guess that's not the case. I mean, when you look at the Loch Ness Monster, you know it's just a figment of fertile imagination. Monsters are things that every kid fears and most adults laugh at. But there's one that's after you. There's one that's after you today. He's a monster of the deep. It's a monster that's very real, who has unleashed his attack upon our world a long time ago. His name is Satan. This monster is known by many names. He's known as the father of lies. He's known as the accuser of God's people. He is known as the tempter. He is known as a lion seeking to devour us. Whenever I teach on Satan's demons, I always use a quote by C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says this, There are two equal and opposite eras into which our race can fall about demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They are equally pleased by both eras. You see, there are two extremes when it comes to Satan and his demons. Last week, Chase preached on angels and demons. I'm going to focus on Satan today. But the reality of it is there are two unhealthy extremes, and we tend to be extremists in life. One is to become fixated upon Satan and his demons. And when that happens, the Scripture tells us in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, our eyes are not to be fixed upon Satan as demons. Our eyes are to be fixed upon whom? Upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now the flip side of that, the other extreme, is when we walk around saying Satan, demons, what, what are you talking about? We don't, we don't believe in that. We live in a scientific era, a technological era. We know that those things aren't true. People are going to laugh at me as a scientist if I go and say, hey, there, there's a guy named Satan. He exists and he turns against us. The reality of it is we see a battle between good and evil all the way back from the garden actually prior to that when Satan fell and we recognize this battle has continued, is continue, will continue all the way up until the time we're catapulted in eternity. This world ends and a new heaven and new earth is formed using part of what's here and also the eternal home that we'll have in heaven. Bilbo Baggins, a great theologian from The Hobbit, says it's never wise to leave a live dragon out of your calculations especially if it lives close by. He's right. But too often we leave this dragon out of our calculations, a sea monster. We need to beware and we need to be wary of the monster of the deep. We need to beware and we need to be wary of this monster of the deep. You remember the story of a guy who was not afraid of Satan? I've used this before, a few minutes before the church service started. The townspeople were sitting in their pews and they were talking. Suddenly Satan appeared in front of the church. Imagine if that happened here. There's a mad scramble to get out. People are trampling one another. They're frantic. They're screaming. They're howling. But in about the third row is an elderly gentleman who didn't budge. He just kept sitting there. Everybody else has fled the building. He's sitting there calmly oblivious to what's going on. So Satan walks right up to him, points his finger and says, don't you know who I am? Yep, sure do. Aren't you afraid of me? Nope, sure ain't. Don't you realize I could kill you with a word? Don't doubt it for a minute, said the old man. Don't you know I could cause you profound, terrifying agony? Yep. You're still not afraid of me? Nope. Satan was perturbed and said, well, why aren't you afraid of me? The man calmly replied, been married to your sister for 48 years. (laughs) Shouldn't be the amens out there from guys in particular, okay? But. Here's the reality. There is a monster of the deep, and you can't leave him out of your calculations because the scriptures teach us where it war. So what is the objectives? First of all, who is he? Who is Lucifer the liar? Who is the devil? In Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, we have this spelled out for us. In Ezekiel 28, it says he's the most beautiful of all of God's creations. He he was an angel created by God, and as you know, when he fell, one-third of the angel population fell with him. They followed after him in his rebellion. You have your fingers in Isaiah 48. I'm going to read to you Ezekiel 28. The word of God says, Son of man, take up the lamentation over the king of Tyre and say this. You had the seal of perfection. You were full of wisdom. You were perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. And then he talks about all these jewels that he had. And he says, In the day you were created, the day you were prepared, you were an anointed cherub who covered yourself. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways. In the day you were created... Until unrighteousness was found in you. Satan was the most beautiful of all of God's creation. He began to fall in love with himself rather than turning to God. And the result is sin was found within him, unrighteousness found in him, and he rebelled. He became enamored with his own brilliance, his own intelligence, his own power, his own position, and he turned from the living God to follow after himself. One-third of the angel population fell with him. We know them as fallen spirits, as demons, as fallen angels. And so Satan turns away from God. He, 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 he takes unto himself what he desires, and the result is one-third of the angel population follows. What caused him to fall? Pride. 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 In Isaiah chapter 14, you have your fingers in your Bible as you can take a look at it. It's on the screen in front of you. If you go to the middle part of that chapter, what you'll read beginning in Isaiah. What are the verses there? Let me find them in my Bible uh, somewhere here. Where's Isaiah? There it is. In Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 13, it says, You said in your heart... You said in your heart, how far you're fallen, O star of the morning, star of dawn. You've been cut down to the earth. You've said in your heart, I will. There are five I wills here. Satan says, I will ascend to heaven. Satan says, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Satan says, I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. He says, I will ascend above the heights of heaven. I will make myself like the most high. Over and over, what Satan is saying is, I will be God. That's his desire. Over and over, what he's saying is, I will be God. I will ascend to heaven. He says, I'm headed there. I'm going to raise my throne above the stars of God. I'm going to be greater than God. And ultimately, what he's saying is, I will make myself like God. Satan's desire was to rule over the kings and kingdoms of this world. That's why when he tempted Christ, he said, look, all this can be yours. That was his desire. His desire was to rule and to reign over the kings and kingdoms of this world. And so here is Satan, this beautifully created angel, who succumbs to unrighteousness, and the result of that is sin and death enters the world through him. So what are his objectives? We see who he is. He's this fallen angel who heads up all of the fallen world. But what does he try to do? What are his objectives? A good soldier knows what the objectives of his enemies are. He studies his enemy. He understands his enemy. And so he prepares himself to combat his enemy. What are his objectives? Let me give you a few objectives of Satan. This is not an all-inclusive list. It's just a few of his objectives. Number one, Satan seeks to keep unbelievers in the dark. He seeks to keep unbelievers in the dark. Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians, He says in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So what Satan does is he blinds the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel. What Satan seeks to do to every single person who walks upon this planet is to keep them in the dark. To keep them in the dark. That's a desire. He blinds our eyes, or he he blinds our minds, and he keeps us in the dark from the gospel. You've seen this. You've shared Christ with somebody, and there's an amazing thing that happens when you share the gospel. Sometimes you share the gospel, and the Spirit of God pricks the heart of that person, and when that takes place, their lives are eternally changed. It's like the light comes on. There are other folks, you share the good news of the gospel, you talk about Christ, you talk about what he's done for the forgiveness of our sins, and you talk to them about how they can have that blessed hope as well, how they can know Christ as Savior, and their eyes just kind of glaze over. They have no idea, it doesn't penetrate, it's kind of like the look I get when Bev tells me we're gone to the mall, my eyes just kind of glaze over. There's this lack of understanding because Satan is in the business of blinding the mind and keeping in darkness the light of the gospel. Satan is opposed to God and he seeks to take as many people to hell as he possibly can. That's what he's doing. He seeks to keep unbelievers in the dark. He seeks for you not to know the truth of God's word. You're here today and you don't know Christ as your savior. Satan has blinded your mind and darkened your eyes. Now I've got good news for you. You can overcome that. You can overcome that by trusting Christ as your savior today. You can overcome that stronghold of Satan. Your your mind can be enlightened and your eyes can have light. Your heart can have light if you trust Christ as savior. And By the way, never give up on somebody. A few years back, I was reading the Dallas Morning News. I was reading Dallas Morning News. I read an article about this guy. This guy's name is Ben Holcomb. Ben Holcomb in 2001 was the oldest man alive on our planet. He, he was from Oklahoma. He was in a nursing home in Oklahoma City. He was 111 years old. Pretty amazing. He was asked by a reporter, he said, uh, in Dallas Morning News, he said, What do you account for your longevity? He said, Well, we got in early, we worked real late, and uh, at 111, he said, I've been in pretty good shape until about six months ago. 111. Pretty amazing. Here's what got my attention, though <clears throat> his son, who was 85 years old, was a godly man. So if you've got an 85 year old son, you're old, you're still alive. <laughs> Here's my boy. <laughs> Of course, he couldn't have pat him on the back and get his hand that high, my boy. (laughs) But here's what caught my attention. Here's what caught my attention. 18 months earlier, Mr. Holcomb gave his life to Christ. Reporter asked him about that. He said, "I heard you now are a different man." And he answered and said, "Yep, I just decided it was time to get my life right. I need the Lord. I needed to get saved." I didn't know how much longer I would have. 109 years old. I knew what was needed, and so I did it. 109 years old. Somebody had been praying and praying and praying for somebody. Don't give up. But also let me warn you. You ain't going to live to see 109. Let saying, you know, manana, manana, I'll trust Christ manana. That is the deception of Satan for you to put off what's there. The reality of it is less than 1%, less than, one, less than 0.1% of all the people in the world will live to see a 105-year-old. That's it. Google this week. So don't wait until you're 109 and say, well, it's time for me to get saved right now, Bubba. Because by 105, 109, you're going to be gone. If you wait too late, that's what Satan's trying to do. Satan is trying to populate hell with people like us. Second thing Satan does, he defames the character and credibility of God. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, you might want to turn there. It's when Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. Talks about the serpent who came. And, said, uh, and, and he does two things in this particular passage. In verse 4, chapter 3, the serpent said to the woman, You shall surely not die. What had God said? If you eat of the tree, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Satan looks at Eve and says, you're not going to die. Basically what Satan's doing there is saying God is a liar. God's a liar. He's told you something that is not true. You can eat of this tree and you will be just fine. In the next verse, it says, For God knows if you eat of the fruit in that day, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Remember what Satan wanted to be back in Isaiah 14? He wanted to be like the Most High. And it says, if you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. You will know good and evil. And Satan is questioning the motives of God. First of all, he says, God's a liar. You're not going to die. Secondly, God didn't want you to eat of that fruit because if you do, you're going to be like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. So you go ahead and eat of the fruit. Basically, he's questioning the character and the credibility of God. God is not trustworthy. You can't trust him. He's a liar. He's a liar. His character is not right. And his credibility should be shot. In the 31 years I've been at TBC, I've seen these lies over and over and over again, the lies of our people. Satan makes us think either God is not there, God is not fair, or God doesn't care. Over and over and over. We go through difficult, dry times. The reason I read Lamentations from Jeremiah is to remind you that even when you go through difficult times, it doesn't mean there's not a God. Vance Havner, the great Southern Baptist preacher from the early 1900s, said this, God has not departed because the day is dark. But yet when you go through difficult times, sometimes we think God is not there. Or when life does not seem to treat us right and we don't get the things we want, we say God is not fair, not fair. Or when things become difficult and they don't go our way, we say God really doesn't care. Those are three lives in the pit of hell that Satan would want you to believe. He would want you to question the character and the credibility of your father. Some of you are struggling with trusting God right now. Either you're single and want to be married, or maybe you're married and wish you were single. You don't trust God. Or, or, or perhaps finances are messed up. Everybody's headed on vacation this summer. You're glad if you can afford a tank of gas. God doesn't care. You Google up dysfunction, you go to images, and your family picture pops up. (laughs) God, you don't care. You don't care. The cancer's back, another month has come and gone, and you're still not pregnant. Death has come too early to your house, your spouse is gone, and life is lonely. God, you're not fair. Satan has you believing you cannot totally trust your father. I'm here today to tell you that just as Jeremiah said in Lamentations, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. You've got a trustworthy Father regardless of the circumstances in your life. And when people go through difficult times and cling to the Father, it's a testimony to us of who our God is and a testimony of their faith in the living God little boy prayed. His theology was great. He said, Dear God, please take care of my daddy, my mommy, my sister, my brother, my doggy, and me. Oh, and God, please take care of yourself. If anything happens to you, we're going to be in big trouble. That's good theology. That's good theology. You know, God, you are the trustworthy one. Satan would seek to defame the character and credibility of God. Satan would seek to tempt us to walk in disobedience and sin. Chase dealt with this last week, did an excellent job. You can go to our website, and all the sermons and PowerPoints are there. You can listen to his message. He talked about how Christ was tempted. I would remind you of one thing from the temptations of Christ. The way that that Christ overcame the temptation was to quote the Scripture back to the evil one. Now, if overcoming temptation for us meant quoting Deuteronomy, a lot of us would be in big trouble. All three times, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. And you're thinking, Dudo Who? The reality of it is you need to know the word of God. Thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so we take the word and use it as an offensive weapon against the evil one when he comes against the righteous one so that we might not fall into sin. Sin seldom strides into our lives announcing its hostile intentions. It prefers stealth, camouflage, and even better, to appear friendly. See, sin attacks us in a lot of different ways. Satan seeks to create doctrinal confusion. I'm glad that has not happened in the church in America. Amen? I mean, it's amazing the stuff that happens out there. I mean, it's amazing the doctrinal confusion. Let me me tell you a secret. You ready? Just because it's on the Internet or TV, it's not true. Got it. I mean, it's amazing. I told our guys Thursday morning there, there's a deal that's gone around the internet for the past year or two. It has to do with Genesis chapter 6, the Nephilim, the big people, and the sons of God cohabited with them and, and supposedly found the bodies of all these giant people, 12 feet, 14 feet people, and they've got these big skeletons and they show some pictures and all that. I've been for that a hundred times. It's curious. Look at this archaeological discovery. It's great. Right. Bones, 6,000 years later, still there, in Turkey or Pakistan. First of all, you think there are archaeologists taking pictures in Pakistan right now? It's the most dangerous country in the world after Mexico. And, And the reality of it is you look at this and just because it's on the internet or TV, it's not true. You can go to S-N-O-P-E-S. I don't know how you say that. Snoops, Snopes, however you say it. S-N-O-P-E-S. You got it. Write it down. Some of you need to go there. It shows you what's true and what's not true. Before you forward all this stuff that's not true, why don't you just go there and check it out. Okay? But here's the reality. Satan would seek to create doctrinal confusion within the church. That's why we're doing this series called Shipwreck right now. I want you to understand who Satan is. I want you to understand who your enemy is. I want you to understand what he's trying to do to you. We need to be those who know the word and stand firm in the word. Paul has gathered the elders of the church at Ephesus on the seashore. He's been with them for three years. He's getting ready to leave them and as he gets on the seashore he says be on guard for yourselves for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he purchased with his blood because after I leave I know after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock Paul said you better be on guard because after I leave I've been with you three years I've taught you everything I've got but there are going to be wolves that come in among you not only that he says from among your own selves within the body men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them now you would think if paul spent three years in a church discipling teaching and leading they would not have any problems right especially doctrinal problems they would understand everything i mean we talk about understanding the greek they were they spoke it they knew it it was their language He says, after me, after I go, you guys, I've taught you for three years. I've poured my life until you know everything I know. I've given you what I can give you, but I want you to know there are wolves coming in after I leave that are going to seek to sow seeds of discord by doctrinal confusion. They're going to come in and they're going to teach perverse things. If it happened then, it's happening now. One of the worst doctrines out there is health and wealth. You know, this belief that if you're walking with Jesus, you're going to be wealthy and you're going to be healthy. That's a great American middle class doctrine. The sad thing is you go to Africa, you go to South America, you go to Asia. That doctrine has pervaded it because the preachers that they have on TV there are the health and wealth preachers of America, the feel-good preachers of America. And the reality of it is my dear brothers in Ukraine will never have a whole lot of wealth. They are godly, godly men. And they're getting fed this bill of goods. And the reality, some of you watch that stuff on TV and you believe it. If I put in some seed money, then God's going to multiply it and I'm going to have everything that I want. The spiritual life is not about getting what you want. It's about being who he wants you to be and getting what he wants to give you. And that's what we want to be. Men and women bowing before him every single day. He not only does that, but he seeks to hinder our spiritual service. Paul says, I've wanted to come to you over and over, but Satan has hindered me. How has he hindered your spiritual service? How has Satan hindered you? You've been convicted to do something. You wanted to respond to a message. You're in a quiet time, and you see that, and you know you need to get things straight, but you don't. Satan hinders your message. He leads churches into dead orthodoxy, to dead orthodoxy. In Revelation 2, 2 through 4, if you go to the very bottom of this, he says, I have this against you. You have left your what? First love. love. You know who he's writing to? Church at Ephesus. The dudes he just talked to on the seashore. He said, when I leave, bad things are going to happen. People are going to come in. But you know what? What ended up happening is they kept their orthodoxy. He said, I know you've persevered. I know you've endured for my name's sake. I know you haven't grown weary. But in the midst of all this, you have a dead orthodoxy. You have a passionless Jesus. That's who you're following. You don't have passion to walk with him. You don't have passion to honor him. You've lost your passion. You've lost your first love. Francis Chan in the book Crazy Love says, just to read the Bible, attend church, and avoid big sins, is this passionate, wholehearted love for Jesus. Is it? You're passionate about the Savior? What do you get passionate about? I'm I'm German, I don't get passionate about anything. (laughs) Good check. Really. College football season's upon us. 62 more days, LSU kicks off, 62 days. You think I get a little passion about that? Yeah. NFL season's kicking off. Deer and dove, dove season, thin deer season. Anybody, any of you guys a little passionate about that? Thinking about it, planning, scheming, dreaming? Wives, you got, you got a husband? Hey, raise your hand. They might not raise, but you'll raise your Yeah. You, you know what else is coming up? No tax weekend. How many of you ladies have that circled on your calendar? Yeah. Red apple sale at the mall. Back to school stuff. You've got it. He says the problem is they've lost their first love. They have a bland, passionless Christianity. It's like biting into an unsalted potato chip. Why do they even make those things? <laughs> yeah, really, why? I mean, that's so bland. Or, or it's like watching NASCAR. Whew. Now, some of you guys, I know you're gonna say, Gary, you don't understand. I don't understand. Send me your redneck emails and tell me what it's all about." And you well, know, <laughs> I love to pick a fight. I just love it. But it's, you know, what, what? are you passionate about? Some of you are more passionate about watching NASCAR. I mean, it doesn't matter. What do you? You get passionate about something, or you passionate about Jesus? Or are you? Do you love spending time with Him? You love worshiping Him? Love being in the Word? Love growing communion with other believers. You see, for a lot of us, our passion is in the past. It's in the past. We used to walk closely. We used to lead. We used to serve. We used to give. We used to spend time alone with him, but not anymore. Satan wins. His tactics, he's got, I'm going to give you four tactics. Deception. The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who you, the devil deceives you. Satan seeks to deceive you. He accuses you. He parades before the altar of God and says the accuser of the brethren is thrown down. He accuses us before God day and night. Satan paces before the throne of God saying, look at him, look at her, look at him, look at her. He accuses us because of our sin tactic of satan is to build strongholds in your life a stronghold you know what a stronghold is a stronghold is something that grips you not something that you control it's something that controls you for some it's a stronghold of anger for some stronghold of bitterness for strong, some it's an addiction for some it's a stronghold of materialism for some it's a stronghold of pride success status it's a stronghold you've got to be seen a certain way and satan has you in his claws Satan goes on and he seeks to do battle with us. It says we are to destroy every speculation, every lofty thing raised up against God and take every thought captive. We are not to be part of that stronghold. Finally, he oppresses us. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of this world. Ephesians chapter 6. Satan would deceive you. He would accuse you. He would have you captured in a stronghold and he would oppress you every day. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? How do we respond? You stand against the enemy. You stand against the enemy three ways. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, Be of sober spirit. You've got an adversary. Be on the alert. Be sober. Be awake. Be alert. You've got an adversary, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. Know that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren in the world. He says, you have an enemy. He is real. There's a sea monster of the deep who is after you every single day, so beware. For young people, he'll cause you to, to say, you can't trust your mom and daddy. Why would you listen to them? And for parents, he say, look at those kids. For a husband, he say, yeah, that wife, you deserve better than that. For a wife, it's, your husband, look at what he does. Look at the way that other man treats his wife. The list goes on and on And on. Three things that stand against him. Number one, respect him. He's dangerous. He's dangerous. He is a roaring lion. We went to a place called Nurangur Crater a number of years ago. Actually, I've been twice now. And uh, the first time we went, we watched this pride of lions stalk a zebra. If you go to National Geographic or Discovery Channel or Animal Planet, you, you, you watch that happen. You watch, that is you right there. That's you. Satan is a lion seeking to devour whom he can. You go to any of those channels, uh, channels animals, channels. <laughs> go to any of those channels. Watch those animals, and you will see lions that will overcome any. Of, that's why they're the king of the jungle. That's Satan. Peter says Satan is a lion seeking whom he may devour. Whom he may devour. Recognize him. He's devious. He's devious. One author says this, most often the skirmishes are subtle. Satan prefers stealth strategies, guerrilla ambushes of temptation, sporadic sniper fire of false and ungodly thoughts, a seas of distractions that cause us to neglect spiritual nourishment. You see, if you quit growing spiritually, he's got you. You quit having quiet times, you quit feasting upon the word, he's got you. His objectives remain the same, to take prisoners, mean people as possible, to disarm the rest. Finally, resist Satan, he's on the prowl. 1 Peter 5 says he is a roaring lion seeking, seeking. He's looking for people to devour. Satan wants to populate hell with people like us. If you know Christ as Savior, you don't have to worry about that. If you don't know him as Savior, your mind has been blinded, your eyes have been darkened, and today you can be unchained. Or maybe you know Christ as Savior, but you are bound up. You feel like God isn't there, he doesn't care, or he's not fair. Or maybe you have the chains of unbroken, the chains of bitterness, the chains of unforgiveness have not been broken. Maybe you're in a situation where you know that you're in bondage. Here's what I want to do this morning I want to pray for you. Pray for you. Worship team, would you guys come up? Bobby, y'all come up. I want to pray for you. These guys are going to sing a song. As they sing that song, I want to pray for you. Bev and I will be down here. We'd love to pray with you. You're in bondage, want to be freed, you don't know Christ, want to know Him. Maybe you recognize that uh, you have been attacked and you want to overcome that attack. Let us pray for you. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. And we'll pray that the bonds and the chains of the evil one will be broken so that you will walk with Jesus and honor Him every day of your life. Remember this. The battle continues, but the war has been won. Through the cross... In the grave, Jesus is alive. He's alive. So the battle continues, but the war, we've read the end of the book. We know who wins. Some of you need to get out of bondage this morning. Get on your knees with us. Let's pray. Father, we pray for spiritual bondage to be broken. We pray the lives of the evil one will be recanted. And we pray that Christ would rule the hearts of each of us. He wants to pray for you. Come on up. Or maybe you want to pray alone. Just get on your knees down here. Resist the evil one. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you.
1: seems like a river with no end. It overwhelms me. Covers my sin. And each time I come into your presence, I stand in wonder once again. Your grace Still amazes me Your love Your grace still amazes me. Your grace still amazes me. Amazes me. Your grace still amazes me. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your provision. Lord, even at times when we question where you are, our trust, our hope is in you. Lord, we're grateful for all that you've done for us. Above all things, Lord, for your grace that is amazing. Lord, we love you, we adore you, and as we walk in your grace, would you empower us through your spirit to share the love of Christ to those around us. Lord, we love you. We go our way in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.